Hey there, before we get started, here's just a quick warning. For anyone with young listeners in the room, this episode does contain some swearing. I was so burned out and I was so pissed off. I just like, we'd announced it like a month before that. We'd just gone to DEF CON. So it was like, I told everybody I was so humiliated. It was terrible. So that was like, that was fast that, that came and went. I was burnt out. And then I, while I was in Eastern Europe, I, I basically like searched my soul and I was just like, I gotta, I gotta do this again. Like I gotta give this another shot. You're listening to Hacker Culture FM, a podcast about the people and movements driving cybersecurity culture forward. I'm your host, John Sun, and on this episode, how an ex-musician is helping companies cut through the noise to find the signal. The internet is a lively place. Every minute, bots generate large amounts of traffic to try to see what they can find online. Places like Google and Shodan scan the internet so you can search for information. On Shodan's platform, you can even look up internet-connected refrigerators. But hackers use this mass scanning technique to probe for targets. And when you're a network security analyst, all of these events start to muddle together. Malicious actors get the chance to slip in through the background noise of the internet. That's where Andrew comes in. He's the CEO and founder of Grey Noise, a cybersecurity startup that tells you what not to worry about. We talk about the struggles of being a solo founder, the growth of his company, and whether or not he'll go back to playing in a band. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So to kick things off, can you tell me a little bit about what you have been up to and how your work life has changed? Yeah. So for the past year, let's see, I founded Grey Noise Intelligence about a year and a half ago. And then how my work life has changed over the past year. I mean, well, since founding the company, it is, I just work, you know, astronomically more than I ever have before. And I have to do, you know, everything. Whereas, you know, when you're, when you work for somebody else, you're, you're, you know, by and large, even in the most nebulous roles, you still, you know, you're, you're doing something in like a specific field or whatever. And yeah, since founding the company, uh, I have to do literally everything. So, I mean, I'm the, I'm the janitor and I'm the CEO. So, you know, Okay, cool. Um, and before Grey Noise, you were at Endgame doing like really cool research and development type of stuff yeah, that you yeah. probably can't also talk about on the uh, show. No, I right? can. I mean, I I can I can talk about it. Um, so basically, I mean, Endgame is an interesting company with a super interesting history. Um, mm-hmm. And I worked there between 2015 and 2017 for like maybe two and a half years, and uh, I worked on the R and D team, and I did. That was like a relatively nebulous job because what I was hired to do initially changed. The company changed a lot while I was there. And so um, I worked on the research and development team doing, I, I primarily, I would do a lot of data wrangling, uh, working with the data science team. I would also do a lot of red teaming of the product. So it's an endpoint security product. So I was like, okay, you know, is this working? Like, does this, gotcha. you know, really like, does it, does yeah. it make sense? So I, I did a lot of uh, red team stuff against that. And I, you know, I organized uh, red versus blue exercises, stuff like that. And then I would also do a good bit of stuff on the marketing and some sales side uh, stuff as well. So I would go see customers a lot. I would do event stuff, a lot of stuff like that. Um, so it was Grey Noise your first venture? Uh, sort of, yeah. So, I mean, basically, I, I had I, I had a foray with another company that was called Animus that like I never even incorporated with a business partner. And um, 
and it, it just it failed miserably but it had nothing to do with the the company it had more to do with you know interpersonal stuff between me and the other founder at the time my co-founder at the time and uh we were i will just say not aligned gotcha in our in our ex in our execution that didn't last long i mean that was maybe i mean it was like when we were both working on it full time it was a few months it was functionally identical to gray noise just very early and uh it only lasted a few months he and i worked together for some time and then um and then I burnt out super hard after that. So we like split up. We went our separate ways and I kind of lost my mind a little bit. So this was, this is in September of 2017 and no September, maybe October, Jesus, October of 2017. And I like, I mean, I basically lost my mind and I bought a one-way ticket to Eastern Europe and I literally, I was there for like three months and I literally just, I just drank and like soul and like soul searched for months because I was just like, dude, how did I already fuck this up? Like, how did I? It was literally like several months. Like, the, the guy was a good friend of mine, so I was I was so burned out and I was so pissed off. I just like we'd announced it like a month before that. We'd just gone to DefCon, so it was like I told everybody I was so humiliated. It was terrible. So that was like that was fast it, that came and went. I was burnt out and then I while I was in Eastern Europe, I, I basically like searched my soul and I was just like I got I got to do this again. Like I got to give this another shot. So I wrote the first I wrote the first like Gray Noise version of Gray Noise. Literally, I coded it while I was at a bar. Um, in Slovakia, in Bratislava. Gotcha. And uh, and I wrote it, and I tweeted about it, and I published it, and uh, and it and it got, it was w- very well received. It was well, mo- way more well received than I that I had anticipated. So short, so short answer long. Gray noise is kind of my second one, but the first one didn't really count. Okay. So my question is, why leave Endgame? Super cool company. Yeah. Does super cool federal work stuff, and then why go to Gray Noise? Sure. Um. So I loved Endgame dearly. I loved that team. Mm-hmm. I loved my boss. I loved my boss's boss. I loved our CEO. I loved them all with like all of my heart. I loved them so, so much. It was a dream job. I really loved it. Um, mm-hmm. I have always known I was going to start a company. I've always known I okay. was going to be a founder. I just, I've always, I had this thing about doing shit myself and right. both for the learning and for the shits, like just for, for doing it right. Um, so I've always known. That's awesome. What were some challenges in the early days of Gray Noise? Not that this isn't still the I was going to say, days, we're but. still in the early days. Um, yeah. So some of the challenges of the early days. I mean, so being a sole founder is really hard for a number of different reasons. I mean, the biggest challenges were for me on the business side, because I've always been technical. I had a I had consulting experience, so I've been, I'm great you know, working with customers and stuff like that. Like I know how to talk to people Mm. and all that, but I mean, on the business side, on the, on the accounting side, like all that stuff, like I just had, like, I do text, like purely technical stuff. And then everything else is just nebulous business sales, whatever. I didn't know what contracts were or how to, what an invoice Mm -hmm. was or what, you know, like, I mean, literally none of this. So I had this badass thing. I'm going hundred miles an hour trying to get my first customer, trying to like get, you know, prove value. I've got the value that is, is there. Someone, you know, some people want to give me money and I'm like, great. And then I'm like, okay, shit. Now what? Like, 
someone wants to give me money for this thing. Like what, what do I do? <laughs> how do I take their money? Like, do they give me like a suitcase full of cash? Like, how does this work? <laughs> so then it's like, okay, you know, I got to get a contract written up. So I go to those, these lawyers and they're dicks. Like I find these lawyers and they're like, it's going to cost you $20,000 for the contracts that you're going to need. I'm like, what? That's a, that's a lot of money. And it turns yeah. out lesson like number one, some lawyers are bad lawyers and some are like, they'll, right. they'll take advantage of you. And I'm like, $20,000. I don't even have $20,000. Like this is insane. So then I go, and I find a better lawyer and he's like, Oh God, no, like this is like, like this is 90% copy paste. 10% me making it right for your business. Like that's a thousand bucks. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. Get the contracts. Like then it's like, okay, pricing, right? How, do, how much do I even charge for this thing? Like, what is it? How do I handle that? Right. So then all of those kinds of things I'd never done before. So, I mean, there's a hundred percent chance I did them all wrong, but, um, whatever. Well, I mean like whatever yeah, works. Yeah, right? exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I got, yeah. Pricing. I mean, I had to learn a lot about pricing. I had to learn a lot about contracts, yeah. invoices, like working through procurement processes with big companies, like um, a lot of different things, like like the like the actually incorporating the business, like how to how to get the money and opening like the bank account, like all that kind of stuff. Those those things all sucked. They were super hard. The technical gotcha. stuff is like that's my bread and butter. There is there right. are a few technical things that I can't handle pretty easily. And I just mean that I'm not used to, but like all the business stuff, that stuff was just the worst. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you talked about pricing and yeah. I'm curious how you came up with the number of essentially $3,000 a month yeah. for enterprise. That's actually that's yeah. a really good question. So, okay. Basically, so current Gray Noise Enterprise is $3,000 a month, which is $36,000 mm. a year. And uh, so there's basically, there's a few different ways to think about pricing. There's bottoms up and there's top down. Bottoms up is like, this is the least amount of money I can possibly charge in order to provide this service to keep the lights running. Like anything, anything less than that and I'm losing money. I literally can't charge less than that amount. And then, so then that would be the cost of, I mean, if it's the first customer, the first few customers, like my rent, right? Or, you know, and then the server bills and, you know, stuff like that, right? So then, then there's top down, which is what is the most amount of money anyone is going to pay for this thing? Like what is just the arbitrarily mm -hmm. most amount of money anyone would pay for this? So, you know, ideally it really depends on how you look at it. It depends on your style. But for me, what I basically priced out, how I came up with that number at that time and that, that pricing is going to change. Pricing always changes. $3,000 a month right now. That's, that's what it is right now. That's not what it was, you know, six months ago. So it's already changed mm -hmm. and it will continue to change. Um, the reason we came up with that number is because basically I AB tested a bunch of different customers. Um, I figured out reliably what our server costs were going to be and what they needed to be for us to scale to get better coverage. And um, basically that was the number that was going to give us some of the revenue that we needed at the very beginning. And it was also going to be, it's like a decent margin to operate at. Um, one of the easy things that you can do as a, an early stage startup to try to figure out your pricing is to add up how much everything costs you to run everything. And then to just mm -hmm. add a 10% profit margin on top of that and gotcha. basically charge accordingly. Um, that's an, a gotcha. gross oversimplification, but like I said, pricing is like an art and it's like, it's crazy in and of itself, like how, how much you can go into that. And I could literally devote an entire episode to talking about pricing now. 
Right, right. Like, let's be honest, like $3,000 is pretty cheap for a security tool. Just Oh, it's so, ch- it's, it's so cheap. And like, honestly, in certain ways, as a really small company, um, it's so funny. I've had so many different reactions mm-hmm. to this pricing because I've had so many people that are like, you're insane. I can't believe how much you're charging. And then I've had a lot of other people that are like, that's it. We literally thought it would be 10 times yeah. more than that. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but that's like, that's the number and some people love it. Some people hate it. That's mm-hmm. what it is right now. If you're, if you don't need it for like, you know, if you don't need derivatives, if you don't need to resell it, like that's it. Right. And it's so funny because when I work with like procurement people at like publicly traded companies, they'll like laugh in my face. They'll be like, this is the smallest check I've ever yeah. made in my entire life. And then there's other, like, there's certain people who are like haggling me down like 10%. I'm like, what do you get? Guys, come on. So it gets more complicated. Um, but another part of it is that when you're a teeny tiny company and you're doing something new, you need protective shielding. You need an intellectual property moat. You need to be able to outmaneuver, outcompete a bunch of people. And it is it is literally impossible for any company to offer this service for right. any cheaper than that. I mean, we can't outprice anybody. And to be fair, price is not everything, but it is a lot of it. So, I mean, you were talking about intellectual mode and like having dif- differentiators. Yeah. Uh, what is stopping someone from creating like a similar product? I have had so many people ask me like the, the IP mode and like the... Defensibility is the fancy word that people use for like how defensible okay. is this? You know, anybody can do this. Yeah. Well, I'm sure every investor, yes, every investor and their grandma. I've like yeah. I've I've I actually wrote an email to um somebody about defensibility where they they were like, hey, you know, this is pretty cool, but like, you know, it's pretty easy to do. There's really nothing preventing somebody else from doing like XYZ. And like I didn't even mean to, but my eyes like rolled into the back of my head and I wrote this email response that was like 15 pages long on like why that nice. wasn't the case. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it, but it worked. Like the person read the email and they were like, oh wow, I didn't think of any of those things. Like that's a great idea. Like blah blah. So, anyways, I haven't even answered your question yet. Um, what is preventing somebody else from building a gray noise? So not that many things, to be honest. I mean, it just basically ends up that. When, when you build a gray noise, you realize how many different problems there are when you start to really get into the data. There are so few resources mm-hmm. on like collecting internet background noise and like half of them I created over the past like, you know, five years. So gotcha. basically it's a weird undocumented problem and it's certainly solvable, but it's just like you, the problem is a lot more complex than a lot of people realize. And it's doing a, a, a half-assed or like a decent solution is so ridiculously easy. Like it is mm-hmm. so easy to spin up a couple boxes on cloud providers, stream all the IPs in that are trying to scan it and make it available in like a REST API. Like that, you could, literally, mm-hmm. you could do that in your sleep. I could do that right now before mm-hmm. the end of this podcast while I'm doing the podcast. The problem is, by definition, when you're building a, a data product or a data service that provides negative ground truth, if you don't do it really well, it's almost useless. Like if you don't do it really well with a lot of data, you're moving a lot of data with a lot of context and you understand all these fucking weird edge cases. If you don't understand all of those things, then your the product's not that good. And, and especially if there's another one that's better out there. Right. That you have to not only get you have to get close to that, approach that, get better than that, but you have to do, I mean, a competitor would have to do noticeably better. 
There's more questions also about coverage. Coverage is a really interesting thing. The internet is fucking weird. And people who scan the internet are smart. And some people will scan the whole internet. And some people will macro target the internet. Some people will, they'll skip AWS. Or they'll only scale, they'll only scan residential networks. Or they'll only scan, you know, blah, blah, blah. The internet is weird. And you have to account for that. And if you don't have really good coverage in lots of different places, places other than just cloud hosting providers, you're going to have big gaps. You're going to have collection biases and your data is going to suck. That's what's going to end up with is your data is not going to be good. Your customers are going to ask you questions. You're going to have shitty answers, right? And so yeah. some of those, in order to get good coverage, it it's not something that money can buy. Money can get you mm-hmm. sort of there. It's not the kind of thing that purely relationships can get you because there's also, I mean, you do mm-hmm. need to have money. And it's not the kind of thing that just having access to a shitload of IP space can get you either. Because where is it, right? I mean, so I'm IBM, right? right. I literally own right. what, like one or two percent of every like routable IPv4 address in the internet. Because like, you know, at some point, right. like thirty years ago, IBM was like, yeah, we'll yeah. We'll, ta- we'll take you know, we'll take all yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, I'll take two two class A's, please. Um, <laughs> so like, you know, that's more IP space than like Japan has, right? So like, that's insane. Yeah. So, all right, I'm IBM. I see, you know, everything that hits one dot everything and two dot everything, right? Well, okay, you're a bad guy. You're a mass scanner. You're a whatever. You find out that they have, that they're doing this and you literally just never scan that subnet or you skip it or you only scan that subnet, right? You have just, you've literally just completely invalidated that business. So it's hard and it's way harder than anyone realizes it. And so... I always try to not like lose my fucking mind because it's not productive to lose my fucking mind. But when somebody's like, how defensible is this really? Like, it seems pretty fucking easy. And I'm like, oh, well, then why don't you fucking do it? How about that? Right. <laughs> I don't know. So it's 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 the fact uh-huh. that I've like I've, tr- I've been working on this problem for a long time. It's a lot harder than a lot of people realize money can get mm-hmm. you part of it. Partnerships can get you a part of it. But um, it turns out it's just a lot harder than most people realize. Right, right. There needs to be a form of like severe dedication yeah. to this problem. You have to be obsessed to with it. the problem. Yeah. Like I'm obsessed yeah. with the problem, right? Okay. Do you ever get tired of the problem? Every day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like I'm so excited to do anything that isn't gray noise. Like whenever someone's like, "Hey man, like so I just I did Shmukan, you know, I I talked to this mm-hmm. thing at Shmukan and Bruce was like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" and I was like, "Yeah." And he was like, okay, well, if it's cool, like, we're not going to ask you anything about gray noise. Like, we're really just going to be talking to you. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I get so <laughs> sick of talking about this. Um, I mean, I, I like, I have times when I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm really tired of this problem. But overall, yeah. like, no, I, I love this. It's an, it's an endlessly interesting problem that I'm very addicted to. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, the 15 page like email that you wrote oh, to someone, yeah. was that just like some random troll on the internet? No. Was that like a friend or was that like an investor? It was a, it was a potential investor. Okay. So what is it actually like raising money in the cybersecurity industry, especially because you guys are based in DC, which is a hub for cybersecurity, yes. but it's not like, you know, the, it's not Silicon Valley. No. Right? And it's, it's not, not the, it's not a startup hub and it's not yeah. a venture capital hub, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, so what is that like raising money? Um, it's hard. It's a lot of work. Um, I am. I was so against raising money. I was like at the beginning because I was like, man, raising money is for losers. Like only weenies do that. And yeah. um, I was wrong. First of all, 
second of all, but I was, I was right about, so, um, I was wrong that only weenie, only weenies do not raise money. Right. Um, it, like it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense a lot of the time. Um, but what I was mm-hmm. right about is that you should do it at the right time and you shouldn't do it on an idea or on like a, you know, you shouldn't, especially if what you're doing has not really been done before and it's unclear what the market size looks like and you don't have any revenue. You can't need it. That's the whole thing. You can't need it okay. ever, ever. You can never raise money if you need it. And people do okay. it all the time. But if you do, um, you're going to get a bad deal, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're not going to get the valuation you want. You're not mm-hmm. going to get the money that you want. You're not going to get the, the investors that you really like. Mm-hmm. You're going to get stuck with someone, right? And these are people you're going to be spending a lot of time with. So mm-hmm. you better have a really good relationship with your investors because you're going to be talking to these people a lot. And depending on how much equity they own and depending on what your board looks like, these are people that are going to be thumbs up and thumbs down stuff that you're going to be doing, right? And these are going to be people mm-hmm. that are going to be making recommendations for people. So you you really have to trust the people. And so basically what I was right about is not just raising money right off the bat. So yeah, I mean, you know, the, I think trust is a really b- big part of it. And as a solo founder, uh, any any solo founder that I've, meet, that I've met clearly has some kind of trust issues, um, myself <laughs> included. <laughs> You know, so like, I mean, otherwise, I mean, being a solo founder sucks. There's no reason to do it um, right. unless you, you know, you have, a, you have problems playing well with others sometimes. Right. Um, and so like, which certainly describes me, I would, I would love to have hmm. somebody to like split some of this work up with. Well, that's why, that's why we write the gray noise tech in a bar in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, so I, I, learning to trust people is new for me, um, because like the last time I did it, it didn't fucking work at all. And so Mm -hmm. like now having to reprogram my brain. So I trust these investors and I trust the people that I'm working with. Like that Mm -hmm. is huge. And I do the people that I'm working with right now, I really do trust them. Like I've got a really, really good set of investors. Um, they've proved me wrong on my earlier preconceived notion of what it was like to work with investors and to work with like angel investors. Cause they've been amazing. Gotcha. Um, so I've had a really positive experience, like actually working with them, but you're negotiating, especially as a founder, you're negotiating with seasoned, you know, professionals who've been doing this shit for a long time and they're mm-hmm. good negotiators. So you really do need to like, you need to take everything very seriously. You need to, you know, you need to have, all your numbers right. You need to have all your T's crossed. You need to be honest about things. Like if anyone catches you, you know, one of the worst things you can possibly do is fudge the numbers somewhere or exaggerate something in a way that, you know, it leads is to be un unforthcoming or to be dishonest. So you got it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's been a wild experience. Yeah. Uh, have you had any demon investors? Yes. <laughs> so no one, no one that has invested in the company, but yeah, I've That's met good. with, I've met with some, some VCs around the area. I met with one early on who they basically like brain drained me. I mean, I, they brought me in and, uh, and they were like, oh yeah, you know, like I was so ready. I had like my pitch deck and I was like, I wasn't mm-hmm. even really looking for money. Like they just asked me to come in and talk to them, but I didn't want to half ass it. Cause I know every VC talks to every other VC. So I went in, you right. know, and they're like, all right, like, you know, 
And I was like maybe five minutes in telling them about like the problem, the market size, the traction, some of the users. And they they stopped me and they were like, we really just want you to tell us how it works. And I was like, oh, sick. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm a nerd. I would love that. Like, that sounds great. It sounds great. Yeah. So I like go and I'm like, I'm like telling them everything. And they're like, oh, that's so crazy. How do you handle this? And I was like, oh, that's a great question. Like, this is how I handle that. And then I learned later on that they're talking directly with basically like a direct competitor. And they like, they just told them everything that I said. And I was just like, and he sent me an automated email after that was like, you've not been considered for this. And I was like, I didn't even want the, what? Like, (laughs) it it was horrible. And I was just like, God, some of these people are sharks. So I'm never going to work with them, you know, ever again until I'm dead. Yeah, right. Exactly. This shit happens, man. People will try to fuck you. It's so crazy. I'm so, I'm so trusting. And, um, and, and like people have definitely taken advantage of that, like multiple times, but I still find it, it's better to be trusting and to get fucked than to never trust anybody, um, and not get fucked. So to speak. Well, I mean, that's good maturity for a solo founder with trust issues, right? (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) It's good. There's, there's improvement, right? Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I'm learning, I'm learning how to trust people better now. That's good. Okay. Um, so what are some other challenges you're facing like right now, now that you've kind of, you have customers, you, Mm -hmm. you know, you have like good technology that works. Um, so scaling, um, that's a part of it. I mean, there's a lot of work, like the people that I'm hiring are going to have to, there's a lot of tech debt for them to go back and take care of. Cause remember I'm a fucking terrible engineer. So like, they've got to go back and like, you know, go and unfuck all of the terrible code that I've written over these last few years. Cause this thing, you know, it's got to work. Um, there's, there's so much to do. There's a lot of, there's a lot of product deck debt as well. I mean, there's a lot of features that need to be built that people have been asking for. Um, so I'm moving the, I'm tra- making a transition from a purely free, open, unauthenticated data service to like, we've got, I mean, there's always going to be a free version. I'm never going to, I'm never going to, um, you know, take away the free version, but I'm moving it away. So it's at least authenticated. I'm going to rate limit it. And, and I don't want to screw people in that process. I don't want mm-hmm. anyone to lose service. I don't want to screw the research community. I don't want to screw all of our users. But I also like a motherfucker's got to eat. Right. So I, I'm right. still I still need to I got to I have to charge all the people that are using it so much that they need to be charged. And and I need to get that revenue so that I can build the better features for everyone. Right. Not mm. just the paid like everyone benefits from the enterprise customers. Um, and that's hard. It's really hard to move from something that just a, a ton of people use for free and and, you know, and moving, migrating over without losing too many people and without pissing too many people off. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's rough. Um, and then, I mean, I, I've never been a manager or a leader per se officially before. So there's a big learning curve that's going to be involved, mm-hmm. you know, early on with me and like how to do this effectively and how to, you know, guardrail myself and like mm-hmm. really grow into the leader that the company needs me to be. That's mm-hmm. going to be really tough for me personally. Um, you know, I do a lot of like for the longest time, I do a lot of stuff like really late at night and at really weird hours and I don't sleep that much and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And now that, you know, I'm gonna, I'm working with more people, I have to like live like a normal human being, right? Yeah, there's normal business hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't be emailing people at like 3 a.m. and being like, hey, where's this, right? I mean, I can, but it'd, it'd be insane to expect anybody to respond to that. So I, I got to get myself like I got to become a human again. 
That's right. tough for or, me personally. What you can do is just hire people from the other side of the world. Yeah. So yeah, you guys right. are on the same hours. <laughs> yeah. I'm so yeah. sick of like this ridiculous life that I've been living mm-hmm. where I'm working, you know, I write, I work, I do sales and marketing all day and I write code mm-hmm. all night and I sleep gotcha. every now and then and it's completely unsustainable. So speaking of, um, so how do you avoid burnout? Or are you trying to avoid burnout? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the answer is I don't. Like, I I just, I've burnt out so many times that I know how to see when it's coming. And now I just, I go 100% all the time. And then when I can feel it coming, I start seeing signs. And like, a lot of my, a lot of my friends will also be like, hey man, like, you want to come and hang out? And I'll be like, no, I got all this shit. And they're like, we haven't seen you in two months. And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, okay, I should come and hang out. Like I should get out okay. of the house. Gotcha. So the, the honest answer is like, what do I do to avoid burnout? Um, have start by having burnt out so many times that you can recognize it. And then when you see the signs back the fuck up and relax, gotcha. and chill out. It'll, it'll be good once you have more people to help you. I'm sure as well that you don't have to do as much. You can actually take vacation hours at some point. Yeah. But, I'm not going to yeah. do that. I'm literally never going to do that. Um, <laughs> The uh, meditation helps. I don't know if you've okay. ever like meditated mm-hmm. or anything, but it's it's been huge. I have not been able to effectively like reliably meditate over this past year because I've been so stressed out. But mm-hmm. when I do, um, it helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. Do you think, not to jinx anything, but uh, do you think there's a Andrew's life after Great Noise? Well, um, I mean, I don't plan yeah. on dying <laughs> after after the well. company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I certainly hope so. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm screwing with you. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I think about that a lot. Like, what would a second act be? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Like, mm-hmm. that could go in a lot of different directions. Um. Mm-hmm. I halfway joke with people all the time that I want to go back to music and like, I used to be a musician. And so like cool. playing a gotcha. band and cause like, Jesus Christ, gotcha. startups are hard. It's so much work. It's brutal. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like taking years off my life, but I also love it. The only thing that I, right, yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. So there's a part of me that's like, after this thing, I swear to God, I'm never like doing a startup. I'm never founding a company or like that, anything ever again. Gotcha. There's another part of me that like more realistically, I'm like, man, I love this shit. (laughs) I'm definitely starting another one immediately after. (laughs) I've learned nothing. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I I don't know. I wish I could. It takes me, I'm I'm uniquely bad at, um, I'm uniquely bad at at knowing how certain things are going to affect me in the future and like cool. at, at the swallowing certain things and like kind of really wrapping my mind and accepting certain things. So anything that I tell you right now is going to be wrong about what I'm going to do. Okay. At the other I mean, that's fine. That's what I expect. That's what I expect yeah. But cool. um, honestly, yeah. honestly though, like music was such a big part of my life and I miss it so much and I want to go back to doing that, but like there's no money in music. So, you know, I got to get the business in a decent shape and then whether, you know, the, like, if, if the company, if we ever sell the company or anything like that, like those are mm-hmm. like, those would have to happen before. And like, if I had enough money to not really have to worry about it, then maybe I'd go back to playing music. Maybe I would start another company. Maybe I would become a monk. I have no idea. All right. Well, you could start like a touring band. That's I, like half a company and then half I, music. I honestly, like-, like that sounds amazing. That sounds, that sounds like so much fun. A lot of my <laughs> friends were in like bands that toured a lot. I, I played in a gotcha. band that played so, around. We didn't really tour, but anyway. Gotcha. 
So what did you, what do you uh, play? I play the drums and the guitar and the piano. Yeah. There's a okay. guitar like sitting right next to me. I could like, I'll play, play some chords for you. I'm not going to do that, but I could. <laughs> uh, you are, if it's bad, I'll put it up. <laughs> that's funny. I'm if actually it, pretty good. I've been playing for like 15 years. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, do you like, do you use that as like a form of like, I guess, self-care and like, avoiding yeah, I do. Burnout? I play guitar. I'll, I play guitar a lot. Um, Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I should have said that when you asked me like how to not burn out. I play guitar a good bit. You so so I did some LinkedIn stalking. Yeah, I saw that uh, back in 2012. You were a help desk representative. Yeah. Um, and then after like in the middle of 2012, you became a senior penetration oh, yeah. tester. What was what was that jump like? Um, or or how did that jump like actually yes, it, happen? Were you always interested in security? Oh or? yeah, I mean, I got into computer hacking when I was like. 12. So that was, yeah, I've gotcha. been, I've been super into okay. that for a long time. So I've always known that I was going to work in security gotcha. in some capacity. Um, okay. To answer your question, like how did I make that jump? So I did the OSCP. I'd already been like hacking mm-hmm. for a number of years. Uh, I was good enough to get paid for it or at least to fake my way into through the interview and then actually get good at it, like on the job, um, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, like the senior in the job title is misleading because that company basically I think everybody was a senior penetration tester. So it was like, they're, it's a consulting company. Gotcha. that was trying to bill as much money as humanly possible. So uh, everyone was a senior. I was like, I was like gotcha. 18 and I was a senior penetration tester. I'd never worked in security before. <laughs> it's like, Oh, senior penetration tester. I mean, or you're, you're yeah, just that no, good. That I wasn't mean, it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that was certainly not it. Um, so you said that you've always known that you wanted to start like yeah. a company or that you always knew that you had like a founder yeah, in I've you. Always, I've always, known. uh, do you feel like you, do you feel like you showed signs of that as like a kid, um, or growing up, you were like selling baseball no. cards to people. Or, <laughs> no. no, I never okay. started like any businesses or I wasn't like, I still, my least favorite part of this is the actual money part. So like getting people gotcha. to give you money for something and like having, like getting something like charging people is literally my least favorite part of it. So it wasn't like, and it's always been that way and it's still that way now. Um, yeah. So no, um, like the most entrepreneurial thing about me is that I dropped out of high school when I was 17. And so, okay. um, and I didn't go to college. So those are like beyond that, like, no, I just work hard as shit. And, and like nice. the way capitalism and economics work, um, you can, you just can't, you can't make that much money working for somebody else. You just can't. Right. And so, you know, right. like part of it is the challenge. Part of it is like, I don't know, like there's nothing cool about being rich, but there is something cool mm-hmm. about playing a game and getting good at it. Yeah. And being right. Yeah. And right. so that, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's just, I'm sure that like every entrepreneur ever has some hole in themselves that they're patching by, <laughs> you know, by like doing some crazy shit, like starting a company, um, beyond okay. a shit. I mean, I'm without a doubt, but you know, I don't know what that is mm-hmm. and I don't regret it. Uh, you know, so it's just how <laughs> it is. I've, I've just always known. Uh, what is some of the cooler things you've seen people do or rather what is the coolest thing you've seen someone do with uh, gray noise and now that you have like an API and you're like experimental mm-hmm. like front end mm-hmm. yeah so what are some of the cooler things that I've seen people do with gray noise um, yeah. I've seen people do some wild stuff from like survivability analysis and like basically finding patient zero of certain things like I've seen people go back to find like early infections of things I've seen people go back in time and find like things where someone knew about something clearly before everybody else. 
Um, I've provided data to law enforcement. I've provided data to cert computer emergency response teams to see like mm-hmm. when certain things have started, where it came from at the beginning. That stuff's been super interesting. I mean, it sounds lame, but like the coolest thing, th- this is so lame. The coolest thing is just when people hit me up and they tell me how much time they saved on something. Cause like, it's not sexy, but it's like, it's like, that is, that is it. Like when someone hits me up and they're like, Hey man, like I just had this super lame thing and I looked it up in gray noise. I thought it was going to be so much work. And then I looked it up in gray noise and it was there and what you were seeing matched what we were seeing. And I was just like, Oh fuck it. And I just skipped it. Right. Like that is the best feeling I've ever felt in my life. It's just like, Oh yeah, I just have like some, some time back. That's it. And I'm like, this is the, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. That's awesome. Uh, a lot. Some people use gray noise to like do data driven vulnerability stuff. So they'll, they'll basically, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're a security administrator, you know, you, you, you're in charge of patching and stuff like that. And I've like, I've seen people that will look into gray noise and they'll try to see like, Hey, is this vulnerability being, is this vulnerability being exploited opportunistically? Mm-hmm. Or is this, you know, is, has anyone started exploiting this yet or anything like that? And they'll base their decision decision of how much they accelerate patching based on whether or not somebody's exploiting it right now. Um, and they'll accelerate uh, patching vulnerabilities that they know are being opportunistically exploited and they will, you know, and things like that. That stuff's super interesting to me. Um, nice. I've done some other like really fun stuff with uh, tracking me personally doing clustering and tracking gotcha. um, basic doing clustering, looking at like temporal drift and doing stuff with uh, macro targeting. So on my side, like I love seeing weird patterns in gray noise. So gotcha. I have, I have God mode cause I have all the data. I can do whatever I want. Right. right, um, right. And so right. one fun thing to do is like, I'll look at, you know, let's say you've got a hundred IPs that are scanning the internet for A, B, and C. And then all of a sudden 75 of those hundred IPs start scanning for D, but the other 25% aren't. So that's a very high level example, but that's like Mm -hmm. seeing those cluster patterns. Like, you know, like these guys are controlled by the same, these boxes are controlled by the same guy. I don't know who it is, but I know that they're, they're together. They're in cahoots with each other. Right. Um, That's super interesting. Seeing whenever people are specifically scanning or attacking one country, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff in there. And yeah. like, I'm such a nerd about this kind of stuff. I just want to like nerd out about it all the mm-hmm. time. But the founder and the CEO and like the product guy in me is like, I mean, are we going to make money? Like, how, how do we product? <laughs> how do we productize this? Right? Like, mm-hmm. It's one thing to have like a science project, which to be fair, like Gray Noise started off as a science project. Coincidentally, the biggest insult you can ever give me is to call it a science project because it like, you know, things always hurt the most when they resonate with you as being true. And gotcha. so it started off as a science project. And like my deepest mm-hmm. fear is that it will never outgrow being a science project. So which has already been proven untrue because we have enterprise customers that are paying for it all the time. But um, right, right. So um, but yeah, I mean, like I can think of a cool use case but if it doesn't make sense like the whole thing like productization with you know real product market fit and you know the tar- the end users and the pricing and if all that stuff isn't there and the total addressable market size for that product is large enough like all that kind of crap if that's not all there it doesn't matter how cool it is like i'm it's mm-hmm. just still kind of a science project and it's like maybe yeah. interesting for marketing or whatever but like i'm i'm not going to focus on something And that's been very hard for me, but like, I can't focus on anything that is not, 
uh, tenable as a product, so to speak, viable, mm-hmm. so to speak. That's that's fair. So speaking of things that are tenable, um, sure. what is your metric for like success? Like, what is? Oh yeah. At what point do you go? Gray nose is at a point where I can finally take a vacation <laughs> and chill out for like a week. Um, metric for success. Yeah. Or or for yourself. For myself. Oh yeah. my. I can, that's, that's a lot. I can answer that. There are so many different things that are almost contradictory as metrics for success. Some are like, so gray noise is metric for success. And my, my own personal metric for success may be different, which is definitely going to be different from my investors metric for success, which is definitely different from our employees (laughs) and our team's metrics for success. So, Uh you know, it's hard to decouple all those things together. Um, The company's metric for success is how happy our customers are, like how much people love using our product um, and and how happy they are to write us that check. That is something that is really important to me. Um, Like how much value we're really providing the problems that we're solving. Like that's that's a lot of it. How happy our customers are is extremely important to me. you know, like I said, I mean, the invest, of course, the investors, uh, they want to make as much money as humanly possible. Right. 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 And so their metrics for success is going to be, you know, how, how big and how, how, how valuable we can make the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all of these things are happening, uh, simultaneously. And mm-hmm. some are again, competing and some are contradictory. Me personally, like if you look at a startup as an experiment, then just getting through it is a success. Okay. So, like as a founder, you can't, it's tough to look at it and be like, if I sell this thing for a million dollars, then that's going to be my, I've been successful. Cause like, if you don't, then you're going to look at yourself as a failure. Right. Right. Which is hor- a horrible way to do things. <laughs> you got to kind of look at it as like an experiment or like a game with very serious rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a dumb game with very serious rules. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so I, like, I think of it as an experiment where it's like, look, one way or another at the other end of this, I'm going to have learned a tremendous amount. And as long as I'm not a piece of shit mm-hmm. and I treat everybody really well and I do, as the, I do my very best and I make all of what I think are the right decisions based on the most information that's available to me and I really think about this and I take things very seriously mm-hmm. and I do, try to do the right thing and I try to do the right thing for the customers, for the team, for everybody, for myself – then I'm going to feel like it was a success regardless of the outcome. Because what else could I have done? Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. It's how I recommend everybody look at mm-hmm. everything because then otherwise it, it releases the, the pressure um, so you don't feel quite as burdened to like do or be anything. Mm-hmm. And you won't feel like a failure if you don't because failure is so unavoidable. Um, okay. So, I mean, as a founder, um, as a new startup founder, I'm sure you also see a lot of new, like cybersecurity startups oh, yeah. pop, up, oh, yeah. pop up. I'm sure there's like a community somewhere yeah. like a dark in like a dark alleyway where you guys meet yeah, that's and right. like a magic word and you get in. And so of these new companies, what's, what are some that you've seen that excite you? Sublime security against mm-hmm. email phishing. That one is the shit. Okay. Uh, spur okay. intelligence. They do like. Uh-huh. They have, I mean, they have uh, like a couple different offerings, but they have a, a chat bot, which is one of them that is like this shit. It can do the coolest shit you've ever seen in your life. Uh, okay. Those are two nice. right off the top of my head. 
Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for so security trails is the shit. Um, okay. I I know Chris, they're the CEO, pretty mm-hmm. well. Um, he talks me off the the cliff a lot. Uh-huh. I'll call him gotcha. like every time I'm like about to like fucking lose my mind, and he he's really good okay. about kind of talking me off the cliff. But the product is the shit. Like, you know, he's a good guy, but. Uh, the product stands by itself. And so I like, I love the product. I love what they're doing. I love data stuff. Um, I am such a like emphatically, I'm an emphatic fan of ipinfo.io, which is so funny because it's literally, it's literally a service that provides like IP enrichment information. And like, it's, it's got a beautiful API and like, it's, it's so simple, but like, God, I love that company so much. Like any chance that I get to like rep that company, I'm always like, yes, like you can't beat that product for that price. You can't beat that execution. Their website looks great. The API looks great. Everything in there is awesome. I fucking love that company. Um, That's my, that's my spiel about that. Okay. I've got, I've got, Um, I mean, I could keep talking about this forever and ever. Um, all the company, I mean, all the companies that scan the internet, binary edge. I know those guys mm-hmm. Shodan, mm-hmm. I love John Matherly with all my heart. Um, I don't know. I know the new head of product over at census, but I don't know anybody else. Jose over at census. He is a, he is a monster. Uh, he's very smart. Okay. And then everybody like, yeah, I, I, you're going to have to shut me up. Like I could literally just, I could talk about this forever. Okay. I mean, if you give me a list, I'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> just like I can absolutely to... do that. Okay. Final question. Yeah, sure. What is the most important lesson you've learned running Gray Noise? What is the most important lesson that I've learned running Gray Noise? It's the paradox of basically, it's like there's no such thing as a free lunch. And like the way the world works is money and value has to be associated. Execution is extremely important. Like all these things basically Ideas are worthless. There's no such mm-hmm. thing as a million dollar idea. And if mm-hmm. your thing, if whatever, if anything can't fit inside of reality, it's useless. And so the value has to come from somewhere. And it it's an unequal playing ground. Everybody is different. Everybody has different things. But the rules are very serious. This is a very nebulous answer. But what I'm trying to say is that like anytime a company is successful in a long enough time, unless it's like a bubble or something or like it's like fraud, then there has to be value there. And Mm -hmm. if there is no value, there will be no money and the the world constantly changes. And so it's just interesting. I mean, the paradox being like the one that we face right now is like, how good of an idea is this? So the scary thing is like gray noise is the first company to ever do anything like what we're doing, like provide negative ground truth. Um, mm-hmm. and so the interesting part is like, well, does that mean, and the, the thing, the part that I always wondered with myself is like, does that mean it's not a good idea? Like no one else has ever done this. Am I a genius <laughs> or am I a complete fucking idiot? Right. Well, it turns out a little bit of both, mm-hmm. but I'm having the same thing where it's like, okay, how good of an idea is this? Like, I know now we have people that are paying for it, which is great. But now it's like, how, how worried about competition do I have to be? How worried about like some of these things do I have to be? Is this a lifestyle business? Is this a company that's, is this a billion dollar company? Right? Uh, No, (laughs) but, but you know, like what, so some of those kinds of things and like figuring out those rules. um, Yeah. I don't know. That's like a long nebulous answer, but like 
figuring out the factors yeah. that are important. Um, and again, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, okay. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much. This was awesome, man. It was awesome having you. Yeah, this was great. Yeah. Do you have any last words, shameless plugs, shout outs to anyone? No. No last words? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening. Andrew started Grey Noise one and a half years ago as a one-man show. He's recently finished his C round of funding, and now he's looking for talented individuals to help him scale and grow his company. If you want to learn more about Andrew and see what he's up to, head on over to our website at hackerculture.fm. That's hackerculture.fm. There you can find show notes and other extra things we've been working on. This episode was recorded and mixed by me. But it wouldn't exist without Edward Q, Chris Fantine, Brandon Che, and Leanna Chin. And special thanks to Andrew Morris for an awesome conversation. We're rooting for Grey Noise's success. And of course, thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you're becoming a fan of the show, let us know. You can tweet at us at Hacker Culture FM, or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you and use your feedback to improve our show. And don't forget to tune in next week on wherever you listen to podcasts.